Welcome back to my Mrs. is a pod. This is your host, Kevin Pollack, saying thank you so very much for spending this time with me and my guest today. Ooh, very exciting. It always is. Love chatting with uh, my co-workers and bringing you the insights and the nuances. And thank you all for your participation in this podcast. Your emails flowing, oh, ever so, into the uh, gmail.com. Thank you for that. Doing my best to get to you. Replying very slow. Gathering and sharing with my co-workers to invoke their replies and then sharing them with you. That seems to be going pretty well. But thank you for your patience. My guest today, as we break down Season 2, Episode 2, our last podcast episode talking with the multi-award winning Tony Shalhoub about uh, the first couple episodes of Season 2 in Paris. But we're going to specifically break down Episode 2 today with my guest, Bailey DeYoung. Ah, yes, Imogene is the character she plays so brilliantly throughout the course of the Maisel program, appearing uh, first in the pilot, I believe. It's been a while. But, uh, man, I love her. Yeah, in the pilot with the exercise and the measuring of Midge's uh, various body parts uh, she's been um, (laughs) doing since uh, her teens were taught. Yeah, Bailey Young is a spark of energy in the show and in life. And I loved talking with her, as I'm sure you will, listening to her capture all the um, gorgeous, stunning, and exciting beats and moments and the making of episode two, season two. And now, as threatened, <laughs> Bailey Dion. Bailey, hi. Hi. <laughs> oh, look at that. We've got our Maisel colors on, somewhat. Thank you for making time for this. We really like to share with fans whatever insights into the world of Maisel that we can. And I like to start with sort of the origin story. How did this world make itself known to you? You were in the pilot, of course. So what was that process like getting on board? Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you remembering me. It's so nice of you. Remembering Uh, you? Come on. Well, you know, a little old Imogene. Uh, I was trying to remember the origin story, to be honest with you. It's a little blurry because it feels like a lifetime ago. It Um, was. It was a lifetime ago. Yeah, I was living in, my husband and I were flipping a house in La Habra Heights. Do you know where La Habra Heights is? Yeah. And I remember sitting in this house. We, I was in a room that like had just had the framing, no drywall, but we had Wi-Fi. And I think my stepdad was the one who said, did you hear Amy and Dan are doing a new show? And so I did like a quick Google and I read like a very basic deadline, like announcement type thing. And I immediately emailed my agent and I said, like I would do anything on the show. Like I don't care what it is and no lines. Like if there is absolutely anything I'm right for, please, please, please. Like I'll do, I'll do anything. Like I'll submit self tape, whatever. And so they got back to me with Penny Pan and I first auditioned for the role of Penny. Let me interrupt for a second. Did you say your dad hipped you to this? My stepdad, actually, I think that's the part that I'm a little fuzzy on, but I'm going to give him credit. I think it was my stepdad. He's a huge like film, TV, kind of follows everything. Mm -hmm. We watched Gilmore Girls together when it was originally on. So he loves their work just as much as I do. So I think it came from him. Okay. Okay. And then, yeah. And then I hunted down my agents. You hadn't worked with Amy and Dan. I just love that he said- No, I had. Oh, you had. I had worked one time on the one season wonder show with Amy and Dan. Ah. Maybe, oh, I don't remember. A few years prior, not a super long time. It was called Bunheads. It was on ABC Family. But yeah, so love them dearly. I would do anything to be a part of any of their projects. Sure. I'm sure you know it's like such a gift. Yes. 
to get to be a part of their worlds. So I went in for Petty Pan and Jeannie, I always can't remember how to pronounce her last name. I think it's Bacharach. Does that sound right to you? She did the casting in LA. Mm -hmm. She brought me in so I didn't have to self-tape, which was very kind of her because I hate self-taping. And I went on tape for Penny Pan. And then the table read was in New York. I was living in LA. um, And I think they wanted a New York hire. And I just told my agents, like, I'll make that work (laughs) all front to everything. So I went out for the table read and... um, you know this, that when you're part of a table read, they often ask you to read other parts because they just want to fill out the world a little bit. And if they haven't cast everything. Of course. But you went from being called into audition in the office instead of self-tape to the table read. Does that mean you'd been hired to do Penny Pan? I kind of can't remember. Well, there was interest in you for Penny Pan. Yes, clearly. there was interest for Penny Pan. And I think it was like, would she like to come out for the read? And I read for Penny Pan. Did they give it to me? I don't remember that part. That's so funny. But they asked you to read for Imogene as well. They asked me to read for Imogene as well. At the table read. Yes. Would you mind reading this other part? And I did not for one second think that I would end up playing Imogene. I just thought, oh, this is fun. And then I remember being on the platform to take the train back to the airport the next day, maybe. And my agent saying they'd like you for Imogene instead. And I didn't really know necessarily like what that meant for the journey of the show. But I knew that at least in the pilot, she had more to do. So I was super excited. And yeah, that was my introduction to the world. That's the strangest one I've heard or most (laughs) most unique in terms of it's a little jumbled. <laughs> going in for one, being invited to the table read for that one. Oh, would you mind also reading this one? Which, as you started to say, I think I cut you off. A lot of table reads, even to this day, they will ask, would you mind doing these other parts just at the table read because we haven't yeah. filled them out in casting yet? Yeah. Yeah, I always love that. They've had me read for Ethan a lot, the <sighs> little boy. <laughs> <laughs> and you must have crushed Imogene just filling in. I don't know about that, but I really appreciated the chance. To, I love the character. So um, I remember when I went on tape for Penny, now that I think about it, it was the, I think she, it was the pencil sharpening moment. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling my husband, Tally, when I got home, like, I don't know about how I did that because there wasn't a real pencil or pencil sharpener. I think I like mined it. I like, don't know what I did, Uh oh. but it didn't feel great. I knew that. So I was not expecting to be invited. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think even how much dialogue there was. For I think it was Penny. like one line. Jeannie was very nice to like have me officially come in to do one line and one mime of a pencil sharpener for sure. Oh my. So the table read is obviously in New York. Yeah. You go out for that and then, oh, would you mind reading this other part? So I don't know. It's interesting. Maybe when I have Amy and Dan, I'll ask if, if there was a diabolical plan behind the table read to also test me see if i can handle it (laughs) secretly hope oh i hope she's yeah you're too good just for penny pan it feels like that's sweet well i'm pretty sure i went home from every table read probably up until the end going i'm the weakest link but i'm so happy to be a part (laughs) and i think i for sure felt that way on the pilot walking into all of these amazing new york actors right but you were embraced. Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100% embraced, encouraged, supported. Yes. Me, not from other people. No. It was all in your own. Oh, for sure. And stuff. Yeah. And so shooting the pilot, 
what was that experience? So now you've been hired. So now you transplant to New York or you're just going to be there for a couple of weeks to shoot the pilot? No, I shot the pilot and like bounced around from I had a cousin who lived in New York at the time because I still technically was a New York hire. I like stayed with them. I I think I spent more money than I made. On sure. Um, yeah, I bounced around and made it work because it was a few weeks. I don't remember exactly. And honestly, shooting the pilot is also kind of a blur. I think maybe when my adrenaline is up, my memory goes down or something because <sighs> I don't remember very much about it. Uh, other than that was my first time doing anything like more of a period piece. Yeah. I had only really done things, well, other than theater, but I had never done something to that level with that kind of a budget that was not set in yeah. current time. And I thought the cost, everything about the world that was being created in that time period was so magical to well, me. Yeah, I will assume Donna built your clothes the way that she's built all of our clothes. Yeah, I don't know if she started doing that for me or if as I was in it more, they started doing that. I'm not sure. But either way, she did magic. Yeah. There's several outfits, I think, that you wore in the pilot. Imogen is in several scenes. Of course, the exercise one is the most ridiculous and funny. But how were you with the super fast rambling nature of not only the dialogue, but of Imogen in particular? Once you're up and shooting. Um, I think I talked fast. I think I talk fast in my, I think I'm a fast talker um, in life. So I am used to bubbling over the edge with words naturally. Mm -hmm. I think the, what do they call it? Is it word per, something about how like you need to have it so perfect from the page. You're saying you are not your, you're like really. Yes. Word perfect embracing every yeah that is usually the thing that i would stress over the most um when it came to just the dialogue not like the acting behind it just the dialogue it would be let yeah. me make sure that i really stay true to every single thing but bunheads kind of had that tone and i have probably watched gilmore girls start to finish 15 times so i i've heard their style so many times which i think was a huge huge benefit. But yeah, I mean, that is definitely one of the on other jobs that I've done. That is a key difference with their writing, the pace that they want and how perfect they want it. But I also love that. It's like this wonderful challenge to kind of, you know, bite off. So it's stressful, but I think it's a really fun type of stress to take on. That's a great way to put it. It's ridiculously stressful for all of us. And of course, each one of us just doesn't want to be the reason we're going again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> With all that stress that you really, if you just condense it or boil it down to its center core essence, yeah. I think that's the thing that drives the fear. Let me not be the reason we totally. have to go again. <laughs> right. 100%. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, there was one, I don't remember what episode it was, but I was walking in the Upper West Side West Park with Midge and my brain was just not working that day. I don't know what happened, but it was like so disconnected and I could not wrap my mind around the dialogue and I was mortified, mortified. Uh-oh. And everybody was so kind. Nobody, you know, made me feel bad about it or anything, but I just remember being like, I cannot repeat this day. I don't know what about it happened, but <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the other side of it is once any one of us has a struggling day because that bug hits each person eventually 
there is never a reaction other than empathy and support. So when we're making ourselves crazy with, I can't screw up, I can't screw up, I can't screw up. There's no one on the other end saying, you can't screw up, you can't screw up. No one has taken that position. No, no. So kind about it. And I'm sure they're smart enough to know that that wouldn't help, even if they felt that way. (laughs) Right. They've seen the self-inflicted pressure before. Right. Right. But I also feel like their words, like the way that they write is very sing-songy to me. Mm. And so people have asked, like, you guys talk so fast and there's so many words. I always say that their words want to be said the way that they write them because there is a song pattern to them. Yeah. As opposed to like other dialogue that maybe isn't as good, it's like hard to get it to stick because it doesn't necessarily want to stick, (laughs) if that makes any sense to you. Of course. Of course it does. Yeah. Yeah. There's a musical rhythm to the way they write. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember, I've talked many times on the show, so I don't want to repeat myself about the minimalistic style of actual from Amy or Dan regarding the actors. Very little feedback. It's always just pace it up. (laughs) <laughs> so I don't know what you are. I'm always curious what other people's individual experiences are in terms of being directed. Yes. Um, there have definitely been moments where they have given me more specific direction. Actually, in the episode that we're going to talk about, season two, episode two, that was an Amy episode. And the scene where I come in uh, and Alex is in the bathtub. Yes. Yes. So great. Going after her. Amy had me do that over and over again and constantly gave me the note of like, hit her harder. Like you need to be harsher. You need to like, you have to go after her more. So that was more of a specific direction. But yes, more often than not, it is pace it up. And I've also gotten like just a little more imaging. <laughs> I've gotten that. And I'm like, hmm, well, what's imaging? <laughs> what do we yeah. think is? <laughs> You know, that, that character that you fleshed out from the page and made your own and have created as a right i definitely being. got that one and i'm always like hmm, well what do i think imogene is in this moment okay let's try that <laughs> yeah that is a tough one did you rewatch? did you have time somehow to rewatch? i it? did i rewatched the pilot which was a joy because i hadn't hmm. seen that maybe since the first time i watched it and then i rewatched the season two episode two as well which was a little harder for me to watch my parts in that, but I did watch it. And the whole episode was fantastic. Right. Yeah. I talked to Tony recently and I wanted to talk to him about when we got into the episode, part of this conversation, season two, episode one and two, the Paris stuff, obviously for him. And then I thought, well, it was such a fun episode for your character and not only the bathtub, but you know, you're seeing with Midge, as I recall. So I was curious about specifically those scenes and what you can share about. Because what wasn't, it's now been a while since I saw season two, episode two. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember. It seems to me Imogene was upset with Midge about, you wait, you went to Paris and I didn't, I'm your best friend, right? In the kitchen, didn't you? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that one. From what I remember, that was my first day back for that season. Season two. Yeah, that was my first day back. I'm usually not in this season, the first episodes. So let's talk about that a little bit as a recurring character on the show. Yeah, normally in the first episodes. How long do they, are they allowed to sort of hold on to your involvement in terms of you're still a free agent to 
work on other shows and other things. Right. Right. So how they normally give me notice of when the filming months are and then ask to take priority. And if anything else comes up to give them the chance to win, essentially. Yeah. The longer the show went on, I started to notice a trend in what episodes I was in as far as like one, two, three, you know, the eight episodes. And so when they would give me the filming months, I could kind of gauge in my head, like I'm probably not going to be filming for the, you know, like I'm probably going to fall somewhere in here. Mm. Because normally I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong, because you would know better than me. I think for multiple seasons, the first episodes were always travels, like you guys were in other places. Uh, I think you're right. Some of the past was. was Yeah, I think season two, three, yes. And then four because of pandemic. 2020, right? We were anchored in New York. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so I was not normally in that. But when I was at season two, I was pregnant with my first child in season two. And after I had her, which was right at the end of that season, I stopped taking new work. So that made it a lot easier for me because I did not, I wasn't auditioning anymore. (laughs) So it was really only the first two seasons where there was any type of competing interest, you know? Sure, sure. Of course. I was also curious how much advance time they gave you when they knew they did want you to be in season two, episode two, since, as you said, there was sort of a trend of not. Yeah. And they, I mean, I, they don't give me a ton of notice. Do they give you a ton of notice? <laughs> yeah. So I've been a series regular since season two. I was recurring in the first season. That's why it's difficult for me to remember the nuance difference, because I think you're right in terms of they just don't know. Right. Yeah. So Amy and Dan have an idea of where every episode's going to go, and they have an idea where the season's going to go, and they have a draft of certain scripts, but they don't let anyone other than department heads who have to build a set or build a costume. Right. And sometimes the actors will talk to each other and say, I learned more from going to my wardrobe fitting because Donna knows way more than... Oh, 100%. Right. Oh, yeah. She has to build clothing. So they have to give her the most lead time. For sure. Tyler would sometimes ask questions and I'd go, well, I'll just ask him my fitting. <laughs> like, I'll just see if they'll tell me. Yeah. And then the actor, the next level is the actors are like, well, Donna only knows so much because she's getting outlines. Yeah. She's not getting. Oh, I would. I feel like every fitting I would go and I would have no idea what was happening in the script yet. It was always like, oh, what am I wearing? What am I doing? Okay, cool. And then I get the script later. Yeah. Like in the pilot, she would have said, well, I know you're working out. You're in a workout scene. So she has to build those clothes. (laughs) She doesn't know what happens in the workout scene, what the point of the workout scene is. Yeah. But I've always wondered if the series regular, because I was only ever reoccurring. I always wondered if the, I assumed the series regulars got more information sooner. Nope. Nope. I mean, it's all relative in terms of what sooner means, but right. very often we don't know anything in specifics till the table read. I think certainly Rachel, who I think said several times, will get a, a script, maybe it's 84 pages and she's on 79 of them. So she'll, I think right. she gets a little, but I've also had those conversations with Michael Zegan where, you know, one of us will say, I heard X is happening in the next episode. And then he'll say, who'd you hear from? And I said, Rachel. And he, by the end of season two, he was like, she can't be trusted. So, <laughs> so what, that, what that simply meant was they were telling her so much also. Yeah. But not enough specifics. And I think it's been talked about a bit on the show. And the reason is they just don't do that much rewriting. So that first draft is going to become really the Bible. Mm -hmm. And until it's done, it isn't done. And if it isn't done, they're not putting it out. They're not sharing. And I've come to appreciate that 
Yeah. More as a fan of the show than as a participant. <laughs> yeah. So right. even as series regulars, we're very much in the dark. Yeah. yeah. Is that different than a lot of the other projects you've been on? Well, I haven't done a lot of television, so... Oh, yeah, I guess with films, you have so much notice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, over the time, there's been, you know, a job in a movie where they'll say, you start next week. And I, I will say to the director, never tell me who A, fell out, or B, you didn't get. <laughs> this whole, uh, I was the only one you ever saw in the part nonsense. Right. <laughs> you start in a week? Yeah. Okay. Right. But yeah, for the most part. Sure. And then, yeah, the sitcom world, which is the only other TV world I think I worked in, even in a recurring sense, you would get scripts maybe a week, a little less than a week in advance. So it is something that we have talked about on the podcast because clearly... It's a bit unnerving. Also, just as we're talking right now, just scheduling your life. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've gotten calls like, can you fly to New York, you know, tomorrow? And I've got two kids. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't have like a full-time nanny because <laughs> I don't really work. So <laughs> let me see how I can figure that out. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. And I learned kind of early on these little sort of tricks of who on the ADs and who on the production office can I really when the timing is necessary reach out in a not so subtle text and say um trying to schedule the next week right can you let me know <laughs> yeah I've even thought about you guys because normally I have you know two scenes taught an episode so I'm not juggling like what day am I filming what what do I prepare in what order I don't have to mm. deal with any of that because my material is just like less but i've thought about you guys many times when you have so many different things to prep like knowing what day you're doing what and what order you do what that's a lot yes yeah and again especially for rachel but also my and caroline aaron we i've sort of insisted we're the comic relief within a comedy in the sense that our characters are outrageous and we tend to come in for also for just a scene or two which we steal and then we Go back. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> well, we don't have a choice. It's just the way it's written. No one can screw this show up. We've tried. All right. So in the sense of um, season two, episode two, when you mm -hmm. do finally, is your first scene with Susie in the bathtub? Yeah, I think yeah. we might have. Yes. Uh-huh. I don't know which order you should. Well, the, that scene leads into the kitchen with Midge. I was trying to think about just the order of what we filmed it. And we did film the bit with Susie first. And yeah. then we did do it in order. Right. Yeah. And I actually, I felt so off that day. And then even watching it, like, and I don't really watch myself often. Normally when I'm watching like Maisel or something, I kind of like fast forward my parts and then go and just watch the show, you know, all the other bits. But I watched it because we were talking and I was just cringing. And I, I don't, I, I don't know everybody's different. So I don't know about you, but there is a level of connectedness when doing a scene and I can push through and do it and feel totally disconnected, but it feels terrible. Right. So, you know, you always want to find that point where you feel really good in it, but it just realistically does not always happen. And I remember yeah. on that day, it didn't really like, I didn't feel like the scene ever really started to feel good until we got to the kitchen and it was nobody's fault but my own the writing was great alex is always great like it was it was 100 me but i did not feel connected or good until the kitchen and watching it because i know myself same thing i did not like seeing it until i got to the right. kitchen <laughs> but it's interesting because you also shared with us that that was the only 
one of the very few times. It was. And I think that I was the first day that I was back on set in the season. And it was the first time I had ever worked pregnant. And I think that I, I not, I mean, not that that's an excuse by any means, but I just think sure, I need a minute to just, yeah. yeah. And you were, you shared with us, I was going to say that Amy, one of the few times yes, was sort of on you about be tougher on her. Yes. And I remember being like, I am, I am being as bitchy and rude as you feel like I can be. Who do you think I, like, I don't know if I've got this, like the intensity in me that we're wanting. Cause I just mm. felt like I was really being so rude. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say having no knowledge of what you were going through, watching it myself, no one can tell but you, I promise. Oh yeah. I, yes. I, I appreciate that. As is always the case. Right. Yeah. Most actors cringe when they watch themselves in anything. Right. I go the other way. Everything I've ever done plays on seven different screens on a continuous <laughs> loop throughout my house. I don't want to be in a room where I can't see my work. Wonderful. <laughs> I can't get enough of me. <laughs> Actually, the funny thing is I host a weekly poker game. And one of the things Jamie loves to do is everyone arrives around the same time because we eat first before we sit down to play. And so Jamie will have the big TV in the, I guess you'd call it a great room that's off in attached to the kitchen. And you can, where people would gather to eat, you can also see this one big TV. And so she'll put on a movie of mine <laughs> suggesting that before, just before everyone arrived, I was seated there <laughs> watching myself. Oh. Yeah. yeah, that's that's, funny. that's Jamie's thing. Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh -huh. she's the funnier one. Nobody knows it. <laughs> so, a little inside, behind the scenes, the way Alex Borstein was playing it, I think squeezing the bubbles in the water, one is left to believe that there was, in fact, water in the bathtub with the bubbles. You were probably inside your head and weren't noticing too much about Alex. So maybe no, I'll have to I mean, I remember her. she was making me laugh, and I wasn't supposed to find her funny. <laughs> I remember that. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of times they'll somehow create a, la yeah. a layer of bubbles with no actual water. But I think she was... Squeezing the water so that it popped up a little bit because she was stoned and just being playful. Uh -huh. uh, the character of Susie. So once you got into the kitchen, that was another uncomfortable moment for a fan to watch because you could empathize so strongly with Imogene who felt like what's happened to our friendship that you would you went to France mm -hmm. and I didn't know. I mean, it was so well done and sort of heartbreaking. Because, you know, for the most part, the audience is on Midge's ride, her journey. That's the show. And when we are invited into all the other characters' journeys is ultimately when the show becomes more diverse and more, and more you know, interesting. And I, that was my first memory. We'd seen Imogene unnerved, but really because she's a very intense character. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I'd seen that side of her, that she was concerned about her friendship with Midge. Yeah, the vulnerability or the sadness. Yeah, which does come into play throughout the rest of the show. I feel like Imogene being hurt or sad that Midge has moved on <laughs> um, without her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So was it those two scenes? That, I'm right about that, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then she even says she's going to come to exercise class. And I don't think she does. <laughs> At the end of it, she's like, I'm going to come. And Imogene, you haven't been in weeks. And she right. says she'll be there. And I don't I don't think she comes in my, my in my world, in my idea of the world. We don't see it. And I don't feel like she comes. Right. 
And do you remember when the next time? Oh, I don't. But I, I remember, I don't think it's addressed. I think the next time that Megan yes. and Gene are seen together, it's not, it's on to the next. Yeah, so it's, it's not addressed. Hey, where have you been? On. Yeah. Yeah. And so what uh, what were your other takeaways just watching the episode since it was so difficult for you to watch the scenes you were in? <laughs> just just the first half. <laughs> yeah. Alex hilarious. Um I loved it. I thought the Paris stuff was really fun to watch. I think as I get older and um experience different like life roles, I relate to different parts of the episode differently. So this time yeah. I I I had m- like I've always had a soft spot for Rose in her in her journey of you know loving Paris, not wanting to leave, feeling insignificant back in New York. But I think now that I am a stay at home mom, I'm like, oh, I could totally see. Fast forward 15 years after you've just been pouring everything into anybody else and they're gone, how you could be like, I I want to go have my own adventure. I want to reconnect in a different way. Like I just I could empathize and imagine that yes. to a deeper level and mm. appreciate it. And I thought it was so sweet when Abe gets the audit of the class that she can go sit in. I just thought that was so sweet. And that was all she needed to then pep up and, you know, yeah. not be so depressed. I thought that was really sweet. I mean, at different points in Maisel, because everything is moving so fast. Watching an episode just cherry-picked out of the world, you know, is always interesting because you don't know where each character is. Mm-hmm. And um, it was fun to see Joel come back to the homestead and be, you know, feel a little bit more responsibility to help, you know, because I, I mean, this would be more your domain, but it seemed like Joel has always ran from that. He wanted nothing to do with it, right? And then in this yes. episode, like, no, you need me. Let me come back. Let me help. And he genuinely seems like he cares to want to help solve problems. And so I thought that was really sweet. Yeah. Um, that was a sweet turn. I loved your guys's. I was trying to think about what, what some of my favorite scenes were. I loved that. Were you at a bar when you and Joel were having that conversation where he says, like, you need me? And you're like, no, you need to get paid. <laughs> yeah. Is that where you were a bar? Yeah. It was an existing practical set. Yeah. I really liked that. The I'm trying to think what with Midge and Susie. I'm pretty sure she was getting dogged into like going last. All the men were taking up her spots and Yeah. Just to see her in that part of the stand up world. Yeah. Struggling so much. Yeah. Yeah. And the utter lack of uh respect, showing the cutthroat nature of comedians in general, not just towards a woman, but just the whole setup, the design. Yeah. Of- that competitiveness. And what were these specifics when Moish and his son Joel were at the bar? I think he was just saying, like, from what I remember, I mean, it's your your scene. <laughs> but, oh, no, I remember perfectly. I was just... Oh, yeah, both from me, the, from my perspective? Yeah, that oh, was one I, of the scenes you mentioned, so I'm just curious yeah, what it was. No, I just liked that he was like, I can help. Like, let me help you. And then you were like, no, you need a paycheck. But yes, you can help. I just thought that was sweet because as a viewer, it felt like the prodigal son who had gone off and given his dad the middle finger was actually caring to come back to the family business and help his dad out. His dad, who is boisterous and would never ask for help in my, as a viewer, I would never think Moish would actually ask Joel to come help. So I thought it was sweet that he would come back because it seemed like you needed Moish needed help that he would come back and 
say, you know, like, let's get a real loan. Let's buy the building. Let's, you know, get this business above board. And then, of course, Moish comes in and is like, well, you actually took away. I thought it was really funny that Joel fired two guys for not working. And you were like, no, but their wives worked. (laughs) So we need to get them back because the wives are um, two of my best. Was it seems something? Two of the best something. And so you were essentially hiring all four people for yeah. the girls. Yeah, their Amy and Dan's writing gets into untapped territory of life and work and family in such an original way that when something like that beat that you just mentioned, right? Manny and who so the other guy, they're just here because she's the best seamstress and this one does that and I can't because then they create all these layers. Yeah. Like every scene, there's an onion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that needs peeling. And I almost feel like those moments, those under the table moments, tend to be my favorite as a viewer. Yeah, 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 mine too, for sure. I remember because I watched the pilot too. You know, mm-hmm. and right. my very favorite line of the pilot, which is a great episode, is when Midge comes in to tell her parents that Joel just left her, and her, yeah. and Rose comes walking in and says, "What are you wearing? It's not thinning." I thought that was my very favorite moment of the whole episode. It was so funny and like understated and just so well done because it was like not exaggerated at all. It was just, what are you wearing? It's not hitting. (laughs) Yeah. A mother's concern. Yeah. Yeah. There's another moment like that where I think Midge forgot her coat or something and she goes, Thank you. I bought it full price at Saks. It was just like a a throwaway detail that just is yeah. so interesting. Yes. I think Midge in particular does overshare at times. Yeah. As designed and written. And it's very telling about the character, but it's also very specific in such a way that the world itself becomes more interesting. Right. Yeah. And all those little asides. And I love that you commented about Rose's journey and relatability because it is somewhat unnerving seeing it through Abe's eyes what he goes through before he actually makes it to Paris in episode one of season two and then so by the time we're in episode two he's got cronies (laughs) and their lives are together remeshing the way that just crawl into that little bed together but all along he's thinking what a fun vacation vacation he's thinking yeah. Oh, this is our swan song. This is our our new life. But this is yeah, this is our next chapter. Yeah. Yeah. And that realization and for Abe, yes, fate complete. We're we're not staying. And yeah, you just see the life go out of Rose of this realization. But you're right. At the end when they're back in New York and Abe says, I've set up these classes for you mm-hmm. and she's coming from what are you talking about? Yeah. And <laughs> He's so Tony Shalhoub just killed me. He owns <laughs> his choices are so but the way he is saying, follow along, keep up with what I'm saying. Right. Like, don't you yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's already done all this work. Right. And the way we the audience are learning about it is her him saying to her, Why don't you know this already? <laughs> We've already talked about this. Do you think they've talked about it, or do you think he did that all in his own I get the impression He's inside of his own head. And yes, she, that was, and, sh- and did all of it thinking he told her and he didn't. Yeah. I'm with you living through her. Yeah. In most of that episode. Yeah. 
but it's so sweet. That's all she needed. She can't even take the she can't even take the class. She's auditing it. She decides she's making Oh yeah, the dinner. Yeah. The yeah. French Coco Van, I think it is. Yeah, I think you're right. Good memory. Yeah. Yeah. I that probably not the name. It's close. I always get everything really, really close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, if there's anything else you'd like to share, I would love to hear it. Any other memories that came from watching either episode? I don't want to um abuse the privilege of having this time with you i really do greatly appreciate it um and and it is fun for me to have co-stars on the podcast who are assigned this sort of homework of re-watching because like yourself who hadn't seen the pilot since the first time you saw it you know that's a very long five years ago Mm -hmm. and revisiting these episodes of these little sweet gifts because contrary to what jamie wants my friends to believe i don't sit around watching yourself (laughs) right so for me revisiting all these episodes in order is just such a joy and it's a magical because the first time you see anything for the first you know viewing as the participant you're not really seeing the whole you're latching on to moments in time from production and Mm -hmm. so often it's this second viewing way after the fact that becomes more interesting yeah no i mean i loved watching them watching the i read the pilot so many times why i did not watch that many times it was very fun to watch i don't normally love pilots of series that i go on to love i feel like they're a little almost like awkward or something they are yeah they have too much information to dole out they've got too many brand new characters to sell us that then normally change in a way that don't feel true to the original pilot or something yeah almost every series yeah you could say is better than the pilot by a lot but i really like the mason pilot i went back and was like i really this was before all the characters took shape so it was truly how amy and dan birthed them and then Mm, they fleshed out you know and so i thought that was really fun yeah to watch and i think i don't i joel's journey and rose's journey on this show were very unexpected and i really enjoyed for me they were very unexpected for me and i really yeah watching them so it was fun to kind of go back to the original joel where it's like you're being such a jerk (laughs) what's going on yeah because he does have a a very soft side that I grew to admire throughout the rest of the series. Sure. In that first episode where he's just so petty about petty. Bobby. Yeah. Almost the whole first season, his character yeah. must be the villain. And just small, very yeah. small. Yeah. yeah. In fact, it's the very last moment of the last episode of season one after he's left the gaslight, having seen her perform live the first time and he's drunk. And he stumbles out and gets into a fight with these hecklers. And he's, as he's walking away from them, he just says, she's good. She's good. Mm-hmm. And you just, oh, God, it's so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, for the first time, he's celebrating how brilliant she is. And it's no longer a struggle. All about him. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think, though, so he clearly grows a lot, right? From oh, oh, yeah. From original Joel to... I, I don't even know season five, Joel, but to series Joel, do you think that with that growth, do you think him and Midge could have been good together? Well, that's the thing. From the beginning, I feel like Amy and Dan, because I, you know, when I was brought in, there were no in-laws in the pilot. So when Moish and Shirley were brought in as reoccurring, you know, I'm curious, how much am I going to actually be in this show? Well, the easiest way to find out is through the character of our son. So let me find out how entrenched the son character is <laughs> into the storyline, right? I'm very devious in that. 
regard. Also just been around too long and know too much to not have figured these things out. So I remember saying to Mike Zegan, as the season one progressed into season two, and I would talk about his character and this growth you're talking about. And that's when he shared with me. Oh, yeah. Amy and Dan told me from the beginning that they see this as Lucy and Desi. Oh, that at some point they can't be together, but they will always be together. Yeah. Did you watch that documentary on Lucy and Desi, by the way? There's a new one. I can't wait. I saw the movie, uh, which I enjoyed. Yeah, it was great. But I'd love to see the documentary. Yeah. I just know that it's... Yeah. It was a love that could not be extinguished. But, yeah. yeah. Even though they both got remarried, but they still <laughs> they still had a partnership in yeah. everything. Everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when Michael shared that, it was a rooting interest of a new kind. Yeah. For their story. And interestingly enough, I'm just now in the rewatching getting to the cat skills when Dr. Benjamin mm-hmm. character arrives in the guise of Zach Levi, who is classically handsome. And six foot whatever. And built, even through his clothing, you can tell this guy is built. And there's a scene at, I just finished watching the first episode of the Catskills, and it ends with Dr. Benjamin bumming a cigarette from Joel out on the deck during the fireworks. And they actually are able to stand next to each other for the very first time. And it's this glimpse into, uh uh-oh. Yeah. (laughs) Little Joel can't really compete with Shazam, you know. But he can. But he can. As it turns out. Yeah. So it ends up beautifully speaking to the lifelong love that Midge and Joel will have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing how you guys wrap up the series. I'm so excited. I'll be watching it on Pinnacles. Yeah, we do too. We're only midway through. And every season, there's always one episode I'm not in, which just happens to be the one they've been shooting. So I've also been away and wondering, what's going on? And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and such a fan of the show that I don't want to know. A lot of times we'll, we'll be at a table read and I'll, I'm not really paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being entertained by everyone. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. table reads are so fun. Yeah. Goodness gracious. I have asked everyone about their experience of our table reads because they are large ridiculous yeah they're weddings right and i'm sure you hadn't experienced anything like it nope. none, none of us had yeah i feel like mazel i think being an actor in general but especially mazel because of the scope of the project has been such a gift because it's just i mean in a lot of ways but it's just i don't know um the room was so full of talented people it was so big it just it was good to just expand my own capacity to be present no matter the nerves enjoy it and then let it go when you walk out because it can feel so major you know for me to be in those rooms with those people and I think me as a 20 year old just starting out would have felt eaten alive constantly by the pressure Mm -hmm. and I'm so thankful for this career because I feel like it has taught me to really just enjoy it while you're in it and then to kind of not think about it Sure. <laughs> and sure. I, in, a, in a healthy way, you know, in That's a how right. cool, let's go see yeah. our player, you know, yeah. live our life. And be present. Yeah. Enjoy the hell out of those moments we have. It, it's all been a gift. And pretty much everyone I've spoken to in the cast has felt the same way. And I can assure you, shooting season five, there's just this level of gratitude. 
you know, when you tell people, oh, it's our fifth and final season. Everyone seems to be empathetic, but a little too like, oh, you poor thing. Like, oh, how sad. And I feel like the cast, if not the crew as well, like you express, are very present and very enjoying the moment that's unfolding in front of them. Yeah. And not basing their life when they leave work on what just happened, but rather being present and getting the most out of every moment involved. Because it is such a magical world to watch, but it's also a magical world to work in. Yeah. And there's that sense from every level and every corner of the crew and cast. Yeah. And yeah, and this fifth season just feels the same in that regard, that there's a sense of gratitude and play and, and yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again and again and again. And you should know, I feel it's important to share this, that everyone, when your name comes up, is it just instantly smiles and enamored. In the cast, when we talk about this, that, or the other thing, you are so loved, honestly and truly. Oh. Whatever you chose to bring to this that Amy and Dan saw has lifted their brilliant words in such a unique, magical, and crazy intense <laughs> intense way that it has left an indelible impression so thank you for that oh thank you that's so sweet of you i miss you guys it is very fun to see your face and talk to you and get a, a taste of the mazel world again and i'm yeah well excited to see season five i know it's going to be amazing and i hope you guys enjoy every last moment well if you enjoyed this time together so much then Please come back as I break down season three and four. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, great. We'll find another couple episodes as these unfold that you may in particular want to talk about. So, yeah. I will not have another kid. I feel like in between <laughs> in between each season, I came back either pregnant or with another baby. In between these podcasts, I will not have another kid. <laughs> okay. That's well, that's, uh, that's a promise I won't keep you to, but yeah. <laughs> it is on the permanent record that you right. did. That, that was stated. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thank All right. You. Well, thank you. And uh, much love to your sweet hubby and wonderful threesome of mini yous. And until next time. Thanks. That's what you get with the Bailey D. Young. Thank you, Bailey. And thank you all. How about that? Write to me. Let me know. What are your thoughts of that episode, this episode, the various episodes, questions for upcoming episodes? Write to me at mymrsmazelpot at gmail.com. Love you and thank you and thank Bailey DeYoung for sharing so beautifully and wonderfully and warmly. Uh, Shall we open up your mailbag to see uh, what uh, questions you have? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, Let's open up the old mailbag. Here we go. Our today's email sent to mymrsmazelpot at gmail.com is from Brett. Brett writes, Sir. It dawned on me during the interview that you and Nate Cordry worked on projects for both Mrs. Palladino and Aaron Sorkin. What would you say are the major similarities and or differences in the two? Both obviously love language and their stick-to-the-script nature. Loving the pod, Brett. Well, thank you, Brett, for the question. And here now, Mr. Nate Cordry for his reply. Brett, it's Nate Cordry, your old pal. Kevin passed along your question to me, and it is a smart question. There's a lot of crossover, for sure, with the uh, Paladino universe and the Sorokin universe. And the two things that you mentioned in your question, the most obvious are an honoring of the text and a pace to the language. I think in thinking about it, there's also something about playing characters at the top of their intelligence. There are very few characters who 
are fools in their world. And even the fools in their worlds are sort of played very smartly. So it's really fun to play a character with a really high intelligence because it brings a certain kind of confidence into the performance. The other thing that, and I don't know as much about Paladino's, their background before television, but Aaron, of course, was a a playwright, a very successful playwright. Um, a Few Good Men was a Broadway show first. He was a, a bartender, I want to say at the Booth Theater on Broadway and wrote a lot of A Few Good Men on Kevin can corroborate this. Maybe I'm talking on my ass, but he wrote some of that play on cocktail napkins, like, you know, during the show, during the shows that he was working as a bartender. So he came up as a, as a playwright. So there's an honoring of the text that theater actors are sort of trained to do. And it's something also that Cindy Tolan mentioned in her episode of the pod, talking about why she cast so many New York theater actors in the show. Because you're raised as a, as a theater actor to honor the script. The script is everything. And that drives all of your performance. If you trust and rely on the script, there's really not a ton of work that you need to do, but it takes a lot of trust to trust that language. And obviously with Sorkin and the Paladinos, actors have a lot of trust in their language. So... Brett, it was a great question. Thanks for reaching out. And uh, I miss you, Kevin. This is your host, Kevin Pollock, thanking you. I'll see you in my dreams. Until then, be kind to each other. Okay, closing credits time. My Mrs. Maisel pod was created by me, your host, Kevin Pollack, research writer, producer, Jamie Fox, and our engineer, recording, post-production producer genius is Ken Plume. My Mrs. Maisel pod is brought to you by the fine folks at Q Code. Q Code. Sounds like something, doesn't it? Oh, lastly, you should know... I'm told by legal to make this crystal clear that my Mrs. Maisel pod was not sanctioned in any way, shape, or form by Amazon Prime, nor the show's creators Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Palladino, although I feel the need to mention I did get their blessing. Okay, good. That should save me some legal fees. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Everyone needs a break from the real world. That's why we played games as kids, and that's why we should play games as adults. I'm Troy Lavalley. And I'm Joe O'Brien. And back in 2015, we started a podcast called The Glass Cannon Podcast, a show made up of comedians and actors playing a fantasy role-playing game. And now is the perfect time to start listening because we just started a brand new story. It's basically Lord of the Rings meets Game of Thrones meets X-Files. Search for The Glass Cannon Podcast on your podcast app of choice. Hey, life is hard, so come play pretend with us. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. 
I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.